Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Okay, you should turn to the second chapter of the book of Acts. This is a uh, almost a pivotal chapter in the New Testament in regard to the church. Um, now, to understand this chapter, you have to have at least a cursory uh, acquaintance with the, uh, with the Old Testament because several things here that are uh, referred to is directly related to, circ- to issues in, in Genesis in particular in the Old Testament. The, the text starts off this way by saying, when the day of Pentecost came, they, meaning the 120 or so folks were get, that gathered in the upper room, were in one place. Now, we need to, you need to know what Pentecost is. And in order to save you time and so on, Pentecost would be similar to, for the Jews, for Israel, as, the thank, as Thanksgiving Day is for us today. Now, the reason it's called Pentecost is because it's 50, that, the word Pentecost means 50, so it was 50 days after the Passover. The Passover for the Jews was the pivotal time when they, were re- they got out of slavery and uh, they became free people under the, the, the guidance of the living God. So, that's their Thanksgiving. It was probably the third most important feast in Judaism. And um, it was really, it's sometimes called the Feast of First Fruits as well as Pentecost because it really was a celebration of the harvest. And uh, it started off where they took sheaths of, uh, of small grain. They raised primarily, they, they weren't big on wheat. It was barley and, uh, and rye and oats or something like that, not uh, wheat as we have it here, but it's a small grain, and they took sheaves. Now, that may not make sense to you, but uh, I'm old enough to remember when uh, wheat fields in particular were harvested with a mowing scythe and a thing that on the side of it called a cradle, and you would take that thing and and the guys would and usually a team of two, sometimes three if the guy was really fast. Then he would get a, a bunch about that big, and the guy would pick it up out of the cradle, took take two or three pieces of the uh, of the uh, the wheat and wrap around it, and have a little bundle, and then you would put those in shocks, and um, that that's the way they harvested things then. They had a, a, ty- a type of a mowing scythe or sickle, they would call it, and, and cut it. And so they would offer two of these to the Lord uh, in the temple, indicating our gratitude for the rains that came and gave them a good harvest. And so these, the, first, the first time they cut through, they took two bundles, and it was called the first fruits of that harvest. First fruits to the harvest and, um, and to... Uh, 
uh, also called, and it took place at Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. There were actually two growing seasons there because there were two rainy seasons, and, uh, uh, but we really don't have time for that. Now then, understanding what Pentecost was. Then in verse 2, suddenly a sound like, this is a simile that like or as, uh, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Okay, now we have to stop and talk for a while. We go back to the Old Testament once again because these initially were all Jews. In the second chapter here, we're going to uh, read starting at verse 9. We're going to hear a whole bunch of people who were gathered there from all over the Roman Empire because uh, Pentecost was one of those celebrations where as many as people who could afford it would come back to Israel and celebrate that, that one great day of Thanksgiving. Now, we're talking now about wind. And the whole business that we're looking at here is the word for breath, the word for wind, the word for air, all is the same word, and you all know what it is. Because all of you came here in a vehicle rolling on pneumatic tires. The word pneuma in the, in, in the Bible, where we get pneumatic or air in tires, is the same word for spirit. Exactly the same word. Now, that becomes a, a, a big issue here. We're going back to the creation. At creation, God created stuff, a lot of stuff. And then it says the, the Spirit of God or the breath of God, which would have been a mighty wind, came upon God's creation and separated water from land and brought order to the stuff. It was without, it was void and without order without and so God ordered it through the Holy Spirit he was a mechanism through which the stuff that God spoke into existence through his word was brought made orderly and so the chaos became cosmos is the easy way to remember it and that's and and you have to remember that it, that that's what God was doing now here in the second chapter of Acts God is not reconstituting Israel. He's doing a whole new thing. It's a new creation. He's starting all over again. Now, Jesus gave everybody a hint of this in the ninth chapter of Matthew when he said, look, because the Jews were thinking, oh, you just, just fix Israel. That's all you need to do. But Israel had already completed their primary reason for existing, which was to bring the Messiah into the world. So Jesus was there. He had lived, died, and ascended into heaven by the time Acts 2 came along. So God is going to do something totally new. And the way Jesus illustrated that, if you recall, he said, Hey, look, guys, because the Jews were arguing with him all the time. And, and, and Jesus said, Look, you don't take a brand new piece of cloth that's have, got a tear in it, or an old piece of cloth, rather, that has a tear in it, and put a new piece of and that was before Sanfordized stuff or before Walmart sold undershirts. 
because their stuff, whenever you washed it and dried it, shrunk. So do Walmart's undershirts. But they're cheap, and cheap is good. And so if I act like I'm kind of in a straitjacket, it's because I've got a newly dried Walmart undershirt on. Now, because they shrink, and it would just tear off. And they went ahead and they said, hey, all of, you, all of you boozers will understand that you don't put new wine in old wineskins because wine, were, I could tell you a tale here, but I won't. Anyway, about wine. But it, it bubbles and carries on and ferments and so on and, soon, and, it, and, it, and it expands and it'll just blow up. And he said, I'm not going to do that with Israel. This is going to be a newly created thing. And just as there was a mighty wind that brought order and chaos out of chaos to God's creating of the stuff of which our universe is composed, there's now a coming mighty wind bringing the presence of God. And he's going to go ahead and emphasize that further because then he's going to say, and by the way, this, this, here's what he said. It took great power. Would you agree that it took great power to bring order to, to, from stuff to a functioning universe? And so he's saying that this same power is available now in bringing into existence the thing called the church. Y'all probably didn't pay attention to it. You were gabbing and done, but I had them to play a song that you ought to play a time or two. It's really a good song that was put together by the Gaithers called The Church Victorious. You, you, and it's, it's really a good story. Uh, and it's kind of five minutes long, but you ought to listen to it sometimes. So God, he's, he's doing the same thing. This Holy Spirit then created order in, in the universe. But it did something kind of important for you and me, too. Here we go. God created out of this stuff a human body made out of clay. Now, this is beyond my comprehensive power, so I'm explaining something here that's, that's way over my head. He created the form of a human body out of the dirt, and then he did something. He leaned over that pile of dirt. And the same breath that ordered the universe filled that pile of clay and it became a living soul. Now that's way beyond my comprehensive powers. But he, that breath of God, created life. And so we have that same breast of God present on the day of Pentecost, recreating what God wanted us to be, and he called it the church. And the word for power that was mentioned, Matthew, last, year, uh, last week mentioned on the day of Pentecost, he said, wait on the Holy Spirit and, and, and you shall receive power. And, and, and this is where a lot of folks, well-meaning Christian folks, have really messed up. 
We'll address that in a second. But this word power is, in the Greek language, is dunamis, dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. So when they named that explosive stuff, they went to the Greek that showed the greatest power they could think of, and it was the word dunamis. And I put most of that in your, uh, in your sermon outline at the, up at the top of it just for a reminder. Now, here's the interesting thing. This stuff that God created at the outset, he spoke into existence. Now we're talking about the power of God's Word. We'll get to that in a minute too. God spoke and there was nothing and now there was stuff. He spoke into existence. You see, everybody in philosophy admit that there had to be a beginning somewhere. Now, the liberals today say, no, it's, it's, the world is, has always been, therefore it, it's God in itself, and they worship. You people who go out here and they worship Indian mounds and all that other stuff. They've been smoking dope. So it's, it's this explosive power that describes the spirit of the living God that we want to talk about today and its relationship to God speaking, the power of his word. So we're talking about using a lot of things here. Now listen what happens. They saw what seemed to be tongues, again, seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. This is referred to as non-consuming fire. Now, if you knew your Old Testament, you would understand what non-consuming fire really is. Because when God called Moses, what happened? He was there, here was a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. And Moses goes and says, ah, this is different. And, it, and, and because, of, now that wasn't the only time that happened because when Israel then was delivered out of Egypt into the land of promise while they were hanging around, at night, God sent a non-consuming fire. Now, whether it's at the burning bush or the Shekinah at night that warmed Israel and so on and so forth, that led them out of bondage into the freedom of the land of promise, that non-consuming fire, they all understood because these were Jews who used the Old Testament. That was their Bible. They understood that. What it meant was... The presence of God. Because when Moses went over there, God started talking to him. God was present. So the non-consuming fire was a, a visible indication of the presence of the Creator God. As well as that, as that fire at night that led Israel out called the Shekinah. Now... So man was created in the image of God... When the breath of God entered that pile of clay. And when that happened, since God is eternal and the breath of God, the spirit of God entered man, man became then an eternal being. And he, the initial intent was that he would live forever. But we screwed that up through a thing called sin. And now we're starting all over again. A new, in fact, the Apostle Paul says this. The church is, is a new creation of God. 
And those who are in, who may, the people that make up that church, in Corinthians, he said, when you become a Christian and the Spirit of God enters you, you become a new creation. So we're starting all over. The church was a new beginning. It's the same thing that Jesus promised. Now, you, we're starting into your outline now. If you notice there, the church, as promised by Jesus in Matthew 16, 18, the, the disciples of Jesus were assembled with him in the northern part of Israel at the base of a, of a big old, biggest mountain there. It's about 10,000 feet high called Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon separates Syria from Israel. At the base there where water came out from under that <coughs> where fresh water came out from under that, uh, that mountain, there was a city because cities are always where there's water. That was true here in the U.S. That's true everywhere. You've got to have water. And that city was called Caesarea Philippi, named after Caesar Philip. Now, that's nothing there except remains today, but uh, been there a few, dozen, few times. It was there that Jesus said, hey, guys, who am I really? Ah, they said, some say you're this, and some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're John the Baptist, some say I, that, you know, that's come back. Yeah, 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 I don't care what people say. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, who often put his foot in his mouth, got one right. He said, you're the Messiah. Jesus responded to that by saying, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Joan, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, Simon, you're too stupid to figure this out on yourself. God has actually revealed this to you for these guys sitting around here. And because you have said, I am the Christ, he goes ahead then and said, Upon your confession that I am the Christ, I will build my church. The ecclesia, ek meaning out, kaleo meaning called, of those who have been called out of the world, being dominated by Satan himself, into a relationship with Jesus Christ that will give you eternal life, which is what man was created for in the beginning. This is the new creation. And he said, and, and besides that, Peter, because of what you've done, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of God. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in that debt. Whatever, you know, he, he, I'm going to give you authority to forgive sin through the preaching of the, of the Bible. Now, that, let's talk about that breath of God just for a minute because it has a relationship to something that's really important today. The big issue in Christianity today is whether the Bible is the revealed, authoritative, inerrant Word of God or whether it's just a book assembled by a bunch of people in years gone by. Most of even our Bible colleges here in the U.S. have been influenced by Harvard and Yale and Princeton and other liberal outfits over on the East Coast. And so... You know, they're even teaching. I just got word this week that one of the Bible colleges was uh, uh, was asking the kids to in, in freshmen and sophomores in Bible college too dumb to wipe their nose, and 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 reading a book that says God may have been a woman. 
I, I, I kind of like women, but I don't think there's anything in Scripture to support that. Because they're more concerned about being, well, that's another sermon for another day. But if I look like I got a burr under my saddle, I do when it comes to that. Now, if you never rode a horse, you don't know what I'm talking about. Now, but the, this breath of God that spoke now with the great power that ordered the universe, that gave life to people, is present here on the day of Pentecost at the founding of the church. There's the fire that indicates the presence of God, the non-consuming fire. And then all of a sudden, this is interesting, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other dialects, is really the word, tongues, languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, be careful here. Because the Pentecostal folks have a tendency to look at things like this and say, here, God is promoting tongues. This, is, this is, has nothing to do with that. This is a, a miracle of hearing, not talking. Those guys were, were, were talking about Jesus were probably either speaking Greek, Aramaic, or Hebrew, probably Greek. Because there were people there from all over the Mediterranean world, and at that particular time, Greek was like English is today. English is spoken in every country on the face of the earth by people who are educated. Even in Uganda, English is taught in schools. Now then, what I'm talking about here in, in regard is that, and Matthew mentioned it last week because he tramped on my stuff. So I don't feel bad about tramping on some of his today. And uh, anyway... But I, I really don't have time to do that because all of stuff I got here to do. But anyway, what, what I told you early on, if you don't understand what invariably, there's several things here that refer back to, illustrated back to things that happened in the Old Testament. You go to the ninth chapter, no, the 11th chapter of Genesis, and it talks about the, of, 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 uh, of a place there where people were building this temple tower all the way to heaven, and God fixed it so they couldn't talk with one another, and it caused division, and people scattered everywhere. It was called the Tower of Babel. That's why when you don't understand what people are saying, they're babbling. My dad said, I would never say it, but my dad said it's, it was one of the genetic flaws of women. Now, we said that when Mother wasn't around. So we were fairly safe until I ratted on him. Now, that's supposed to be funny. You know. Anyway, here we go. So he's, what he's saying here is, unlike what happened at the Tower of Babel, what happened here is people from all other dialects understood and became one. This is the new creation. The old messed up. The new is fixing it. That's the reason divisions in the church are just a horrible thing. Because it's more like the Tower of Babel than it is what the New Testament church has done here, where the Holy Spirit is the guiding influence of the people of God. And the Bible teaches 
that the Bible came into existence as a result of God talking or breathing. And when you go over in the New Testament, and if you go look and see, you will see that in 2 Timothy, this is the Apostle Paul talking, an old Jewish rabbi. He's, he's uh, discussing that, trying to teach a young preacher, and that's tough at times. So he's talking to this young guy named Timothy, and this is what he says. And by the way, when we were kids in Sunday school, we had to memorize Scripture. That doesn't, we, we had, uh, we had uh, sword drills where we had contests who could find Scripture the quickest. We, all kinds of stuff, all biblical. And they need to kind of recover some of that. It's all been laid aside by talking about the birds and the bees and the cigarette trees and the soda water fountain. And, and here's what the Apostle Paul says the Bible is. This is verse 16, and all of us had to memorize this when we were 10 years old. Third chapter of 2 Timothy, it says, All Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, is God-breathed. Now, what he's talking about, that's his way of saying God was talking. It's awful hard to, to talk without breathing. It is the breath of God that brought into existence the stuff out of which the universe was made, gave life to man, ordered the universe. That same God provided the written Word of God. That's the reason the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. So the written Word of God in the hands of the Spirit of God, which is called the sword of the Spirit, Paul refers to it as the sword of the Spirit, has the capacity of creating men and women of God, whose single reason for existing is to reflect the qualities of God in our life. We used to talk about godly men and women and how we desperately need them again, beginning in the pulpit. God's kingdom, the access to God's kingdom, used to be Israel. And it was to be the example through which the whole world would see how you enter into the kingdom of God. They failed. So God starts all over again with a thing called the church. And he says, the church now is the only access because the church the Holy Spirit never talks about the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit only talks about Jesus and Jesus is the message of the church that is the path to the eternal kingdom of God and there isn't any other way because Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father but by me the world hates that passage of Scripture but that's their problem. And for those who accept Jesus and he allows God to put within them His Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. God grants heavenly citizenship. 
And, and he actually says this out loud. The Apostle Paul in the, in the book of Philippians actually says, uses that terminology. In chapter 3, verse 20, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven. You and I have dual citizenship. We tried to get Patrick and Eddie triple, they, they, and we failed at that too. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I thought it would really be neat for my wife to be the mother of two black kids. But it didn't work out that way. But anyway, they, we still take care of them. The judge didn't agree with me. I love that judge, but he, he needed to come here to church for a while. Now, the interesting thing about this second chapter of the book of Acts, when he's starting all over again, is that uh, Israel saw themselves as the exclusive. You had to become an Israelite in order to have divine citizenship. Now, the interesting thing about that was that uh, these Jewish people, they didn't do a very good job of representing God, so he had to start all over again. Let me read a little bit here. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under the heaven, meaning all the Mediterranean world. And when they heard the sound of the mighty road and, and, the, and the men speaking, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Each one heard them speaking in his own language. So the, the, the speaking in tongues here or dialects is really the word. People wasn't what they were, how they were talking, it's how they were hearing. They were hearing in their own language, even though they were talking in probably maybe Aramaic, maybe Greek. Utterly amazed, they said, are not all these men that are talking Galileans? How is that that each of us hears them in our own dialect or language? Then he lists about a dozen different places in the Roman Empire. All of these people were either Jews or converts to Judaism. Now, a lot of people don't realize that the Jews have always had an evangelistic arm. There's a thing called the the Jewish Chautauqua Society. And what it did, it raised money for Israel, among other things, but it also was uh, asked people to come to... You, you may, those of you who are older and dirt, like I am, can remember uh, probably the best entertainer in my lifetime, Sammy Davis Jr., converting to Judaism because of some babe they were just marrying because he had the hots for classy-looking babe. And, uh, and he dumped that later on. But what happens in Judaism, at, the, at that time, if you were to look up the history of baptism, you'll find that they, the men were circumcised and all of them were baptized. And it was a, just a rite of cleansing. That's the reason when John comes along, Jesus' cousin, he's referred to as John the baptizer. And it was a result of repentance. Now, what, what was different here about the church and Israel as the mechanism through which you get into the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God doesn't exist outside of this may of getting there. 
two different places here. If you look in the 17th verse of chapter 2, it says, In the last days God said, I will pour out my breath or spirit on all people. Jew, Gentile, black, white, Asian, whoever. Doesn't make any people are people. And the message of forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ is available Well, here's the way he says it in verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, you all are going to get tired of hearing this. But I'm not going to get tired of saying it. I believe that segregated congregations verges on sin. If God through the, through the Bible can take Jews who thought they were better than everybody else, their God's chosen people were better, they actually thought they were superior to everybody else, can learn to live with and love Gentiles that they hated. They said a dog was better than a Gentile. It's kind of like it used to be here a long time ago. Kind of like Buckeyes used to think about the holy Kentuckians. They look down their nose at them. White people look down their nose at black people. Black people look down their nose at Asians. Everybody's looking down their nose at somebody. And that, all of that's sin. But you know, the interesting thing is when we worship God together as one people, and that's exactly what he was trying to do here because at the Tower of Babel they were separated. Now through the giving of the Holy Spirit they were coming together as one in Jesus Christ. That's what God wants to do. And, and all people are candidates at least for citizenship in the kingdom of God. Now, he goes ahead and says some things here that, that upset some people. But we'll get to that in a minute. In, in verse 22, it says, Men of it, now Peter, in verse 14, it says, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you and listen carefully what I'm going to say. These guys that are talking aren't drunk. Well, somebody had come out of some wino and said, oh, those guys are drunk. Well, they weren't. He said, really, what's going on here is what the Old Testament book of Joel says was going to happen in time when God created the church. And then in verse 22, Peter talks about Jesus. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which he did among you, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And then he preached for several minutes. We just have snippets of the sermon that he preached probably for an hour, maybe longer. And we have a resume of it, I mean, just a section of it here. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus promised Peter in Matthew 16, 18, I'll give to you the keys to the kingdom of God. So Peter is preaching the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the embodiment of God himself on earth, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, God allowed that death on the cross to be and the shedding of blood to be sufficient payment for the sins of mankind, past, present, and future. And then he raised him from the dead, and even now he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for turkeys like you and me. 
That's the sermon that Peter preached. And he said, this guy to the Jewish crowd, that was a, this guy that I'm talking about who paid for all of our sins, you guys crucify. And the Bible says that they were cut to their quick. We have sinned a great sin. He said, you remember what Joel said? That the time would come when God would pour out his sins on all people. He's doing that right now. In fact, verse 33, he said, He's exalted to the right hand of God, and he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and poured out as you see and hear. Now, when was this promised Holy Spirit? Back in the 14th chapter of John, Jesus said this, he said to his disciples, for the first time, chapter 13, he said, I'm going to die. And Peter said, oh, don't do that. We're comforted by your presence. Don't, believe don't, don't go away. Please don't go away. Jesus said, if I go away or if I go back to heaven where I came from, I will petition the Father, and the Father will send another one just like me, who is the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason this is important, another little Greek lesson. But just this is easy to understand. There are two words for another. He said, I'll send another one just like me. One word is alos, A-L-L-O-S, which means another identical in every way. Jesus said, I will send, I'll petition the Father, and he will send another who is the Holy Spirit, who is identical to me in every way. He will be your counselor. He will be your God. He'll do everything for you that I would do if I were here. But I have to go away. The other word is heteros. You all know what that means because we get our word heterosexual, meaning of, that is different in sex. So it's a different word. Jesus used the word alos. He will be identical to me, and he will be the Holy Spirit. And so the Father, Peter, uses the keys to the kingdom to open up the message to the Jew first. We'll get to the Gentiles later. Well, the people heard this in verse 37. This is where some of you are going to get stuck. In verse 37, the people heard this and were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Geez, what do we do? This is a cry of desperation. What do we do now? We're guilty of killing God. And Peter replied to them, repent. Now, repent, everybody understands. It's a simple word that means, for if you've ever seen any military stuff, and a guy hollers about face, you know, they turn their heel, pivot, go the other direction. It means you're sorry for the direction you're going, you've messed up, and now you turn and go in the right direction. That's what repentance means. We used to call it godly sorrow for what we've done wrong. And now God has made it possible and given us the direction we should be going. And then he says, and here's where things get binding for you, because the church has messed up a lot of things, this being one of them, and be baptized. Now, they understood what baptism was for repentance. The church, the word for baptism, baptizo in the verb form, can only mean one thing. To dip, to plunge under, or to immerse. 
Everybody understood that. Nobody fussed about it. But the church, primarily old Augustine, that smart sucker, he was really good in some things, but he really messed this whole business up. And the church has been influenced by it for the last 1,600 years. He said to repent and be baptized. And then this is where people get bent out of shape. I had a guy ask me last night afterwards, and I've got to get back to him because I didn't do a very good job answering him because I was pooped. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, keep in mind the word for spirit. Breath. Wind gives life. What is that? He's the power to change our lives. The image here that was clear to them that we have since messed up is this. You baptize somebody. They all understood this. We don't. The guy, baptism is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Everybody, I think, understands that. The word for sprinkle is rontidzo, where we get our English word rain. Ain't hardly the same. And the picture here that really messes up people is this. The word spirit and breath is the same word. It's pneuma. Gives life. When you come up out of the this is what they understood. You come up out of the water, and the first thing they do when they come up out of the water is what? Breathe. <laughs> and the image there is that with that breath is the inculcation of the Spirit of God. Now, God doesn't always operate just exactly like that, but that was the understanding they had. And then everyone who has sincerely repented and been baptized now has breathed in the, the presence of the living God, and in the first time, man sinned and blew it all. Now then, because of God's amazing grace... He's going to give us eternal life. Because this is the same picture that Jesus used in John 3 as the new birth. There he used the bursting of the water of the womb and then the breath, the breathing in. And he becomes a living soul. This goes clear back to that same thing. But today we ask silly questions like, at what point in time is a person saved? We don't know, because it's all faith anyway. If you go to the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, God knew who it was before the foundation of the world. And salvation takes place where? In the mind of God. And he hasn't seen fit to tell us at what point in time. He just says, you do it. I'll do my part. I've already done all I need to do. You do your part. It's done. And we want to argue about it. Take your arguments and flush them. And just be obedient to the Word of God. Even though at times we don't understand it. 
We need to move on to, because time marches on here and waits for no man. Peter has used the keys of the kingdom of God to open the kingdom of God to whosoever will may come. How do we enter into that relationship with him? You repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, because you cannot be, can claim to be saved if the Spirit of God doesn't live in you. And so people have a tendency to say, well, I want proof that I can't accept this thing on faith. I, I want physical proof. And so <coughs> the apostolic people say, well, you, you have to speak in tongues just as soon as you're baptized. But if you don't know how, we'll teach you how, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and Jesus would say, then you really don't trust me, do you? Because I told you, you do this, it's a done deal. Oh, no, no, no. We, we want to have evidence. Well, the evidence that we're supposed to have is that we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, start doing something that's absolutely miraculous, and that is that we start loving each other the way Jesus loved us. And it ain't possible any other way. You cannot love the way Jesus loved. You cannot say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing just through the power of the flesh. That's an act of power through the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of stuff he wants out of us. This, the, 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 the tongues and the healing and stuff is all essentially selfish. It's, it's not that bad, but it's essentially selfish. It's what you're doing for me. You know, have you driven the Ford lately? We have to understand that the Bible says, seek those gifts that reflect the indwelling Christ in you. He says, tongues edifies the self. Love edifies the body. And everything that's said in public needs to be understood by everybody present. Just like it was at Pentecost. Now he, 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 puts, the, he puts it in and turns it because the Jews to this day don't like to hear that. He said this promise of the Holy Spirit indwelling. All the way up until then, the Holy Spirit would come upon people to accomplish a task that God has assigned to them. Even the apostles before this, when Jesus breathed on them, and it says, you know, that they were sent out to do some wonderful things. They weren't indwelt. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit, just like Samson was and the other people in the Old Testament. It was with the coming of the church that they were indwelt by the Spirit of God who gave them life eternal. Because that's exactly what he said to Nicodemus in John 3.16 that you all know. He said, the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off and all of whom the Lord our God will call. God creates the church through the preaching of the word of God that is true and infallible and inerrant, at least in the initial documents. And the Spirit of God wraps himself in the Word of God, brings conviction to the sinner who can repent of his sins and bury that old dead guy and receive the Holy Spirit 
to be empowered to show the world who God is by the way we treat each other. And it's really that simple. And then he goes on to say, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 of them were added to that number that day. Now, now they're saved what? That's what they wanted to know. Okay, we've received the Holy Spirit, now what? They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, number one. Here is a formula for a spiritual diet that will guarantee spiritual growth. The old guy in, he's not as old as I am, but he's an old codger, in Uganda who ran the school and the orphanage where Patrick and Eddie went, had a, a national position over all the born-again churches, 22,000 of them. He said the problem there is they're a mile wide and an inch deep. And so he started a movement similar to what I grew up in. They call it BBT, Back to the Bible Truth. Because he said we need to grow spiritually, just not numerically. But we need, because the numbers take care of themselves when the spiritual thing's right. So they, they, they devoted themselves to these four things. To the apostles' teaching, to koinonia, a word fellowship. That is where we create a non-threatening atmosphere where people can share their thoughts, their life, their finances, their whatever. In a non-threatening atmosphere where people can be wrong without being condemned, but be helped to overcome it. To breaking of bread. Now that can mean two things. Because the Lord's Supper was always at the conclusion of a meal. They would come to somebody's house. They were just small gatherings of people. They would eat a carry-in supper. And at the end, they would have the Lord's Supper. So it was both. They Later on, he's saying they met from house to house, so on and so forth. But here he's talking about the Lord's Supper and primarily prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. That's not done anymore because the apostles are dead. And then it says something here in verse 44 that, we, that is political and I have to address it because it's here. I've told you all for years that the primary enemy of the organized church is socialism. Socialism, communism, and Marxism is all the same. Communism usually is enforced at the point of a gun. But philosophically, they're all the same. They have their roots in Karl Marx and the Communist Manifesto. I don't expect you to read it, but take my word for it. There are many organizations of great influence today. One of the things that really confuse people is the organization of Black Lives Matter is, is, uh, is communist. The idea of Black Lives Matter, everybody agrees with if you've got any heart in you at all. How can you argue with that? But the organization is corrupt and communist. Now, don't take my word for it. You go look on their own web page. And it'll tell you that. The early church 
because they thought Jesus was coming back any moment, any day. Actually, practice socialism for a short period of time. Here's what it says. All the believers were together and had things in common, selling their possessions and goods, and gave to everyone as they had need. I'm telling you, folks, I've been to many countries that are socialist. I've never been to a communist country yet. I have friends that grew up here at church who are in who were in Russia when it fell, shortly thereafter. I used to belong to Kranto Christian Mission. I was on their board. And we sent Christian material to the churches in Russia that were outlawed because communism, socialism, sees the church as its primary enemy. I have said that for years. I'm not telling you anything new just because it's close to voting time. But if you can prove me wrong, have at it. But be prepared to look silly. Because that's the way it is. The church functions best when we are under pressure. And I think I need to warn you all, pressure may be coming pretty soon. And I say... Let her come. We're empowered by the Spirit of God. God breathed His life into the church and said, even the gates of Hades cannot overcome her. They ain't going to whip us. They just may make us suffer a little. And if we can suffer, the Apostle Paul said, like Jesus suffered, we can be resurrected the way He was suffered. They can't win. We can't lose. That's the church that He built through the Word of God. So, Lord, I ask your blessing upon this congregation. Help us to love the way Jesus loved each other and even folks who don't like us. Give us the capacity, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit to do what Jesus would do if he were walking here because it seems like in the Scripture you wanted us to be like Jesus. Through the power of your holy life-giving spirit, we pray, Father, that we can achieve that goal before we see you face to face. We pray for your abiding presence as we leave here, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen? You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.